just start out, as I was looking about looking at this passage, we're starting John chapter 1 today. Um, I, was, I was thinking about, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to one of those big conferences, maybe like a, for work or education or maybe a political rally, I don't know. Have you ever been to a conference where there is a, a main speaker? There always comes a point where someone comes up to, to introduce this person. And there's a few different things that are normally said during that moment. You know, somebody might mention uh, that person's, the main speaker's background, maybe their educational history. If they've written some books, they, may, they might talk about the books that they've written. Or if the person introducing has a, a personal relationship with them, maybe they'll tell some kind of funny story, something to, to let you know who's coming up. Um, well, we're in the book of John today. And in the Gospel of John, uh, John has this same kind of opportunity. He is trying to introduce to the world Jesus. Now, John is is called uh, the beloved disciple. He's one of Jesus' closest friends. He was with him from the very beginning of his ministry. So what is he going to say? What is John going to say to introduce Jesus to the world? John is one of, this book is one of four Gospels. You may know that. There's, there's four books called Gospels. They all tell the story of Jesus' life. The other ones are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if you compare those books with this book, you'll see the way they start out is extremely different. Uh, John doesn't do the things that the other writers do. He doesn't look at Jesus' genealogy or tell the story of Jesus' birth, which was miraculous. And he doesn't talk about the prophecies about Jesus' coming. He doesn't go straight into different stories about what happened early in Jesus' life. No, instead, John opens up with some of the most stunning words that you find anywhere in Scripture. He says, In the beginning was the Word. He says, "Let Let me introduce you to my friend Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's a, that's a great start. But what does that even mean? What, what, is, what is the meaning behind that? Well, over the next seven months, we're going to preach through this whole book. We're starting today, and we're going to go all the way through June looking at this. Um, but, but especially right now, uh, this introductory chapter, we're going to walk through very slowly over Advent, and then later we'll pick up the pace. Because Advent's a special season. Advent is a season, it's a time of year, where we take a little time to reflect on the coming of Jesus. Particularly, we try to think about why Jesus had to come. And then we try to get excited, knowing that Jesus is going to come again. And this line, these these opening lines of the Gospel of John are wonderful for us to consider during this opening week of Advent because this is the place where, where John answers those questions. This is the place where John tells us about his friend and Savior. And so in these words, he shows us who Jesus is. He shows us why that matters. And then he shows us why Jesus had to come. Tells us who Jesus is, why that matters, and then why Jesus had to come. So let's jump in. Who is Jesus? 
That's a big question. Who is Jesus? I looked on Amazon. There's at least a dozen books with that as their title. Who is Jesus? Uh, there's no way I could properly answer that question in just a, a portion of a sermon. In fact, on my desk across the parking lot, I've got a book that is called The Person of Christ, and it's 300 pages long. And then there's another per- book that goes with it called The Work of Christ that's another 300 pages long. There's so much to, that, that I could give you to answer the question, who is Jesus? But it's amazing here that John is able to do a pretty good job answering that question in just a couple of lines. And he starts it out in a brilliant way. He says, in the beginning. In the beginning. Does that ring a bell? Do those words sound familiar at all to you? That's the first line of the Bible, right? In the beginning, God. It's a callback. The reason he starts the book this way is because it is a callback to what I'm guessing are the most read words of the Bible. Even if you just pick it up on the nightstand at the hotel, you get to in the beginning, right? He says, this is the first thing John wants us to know about Jesus. John wants us to know that Jesus was around in the beginning. That he outdates every single one of us. And it might be weird to think about it. I started contemplating this this week. But Jesus, when he was crucified, he was about my age. It seems like uh, a strange strange thing to compare. (laughs) But Jesus was about my age when he was crucified. And so John wants to be absolutely clear at this opening moment that Jesus was unlike any other 30-something preacher. Jesus was different. In verse 15, he says, John the Baptist, the one who came proclaiming that Jesus was the Christ, it says, John the Baptist said, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So John the Baptist, who was older than Jesus by just a couple of months, he said, Jesus was before me. And what he means was, Jesus was way before me. The theological terminology for this is pre-existence. That Jesus existed in the beginning. Verse 3 makes it abundantly clear. It says, He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him, not anything was made that was made. He says, Jesus was the one who created the whole universe, and uh, Paul elaborates on this in Colossians. He, He says the same thing. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's how John starts the book. He starts it pretty strong. He starts off by saying, hey, everybody, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. But that's, that's not exactly what he says. That's kind of a misquote. What does he really say? He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says, the Word was God. Why does he say that? You know, it sounds pretty cool. When you read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, it sounds 
meaningful. You know, when I read it, it reminds me of the way I feel at the Museum of Fine Arts. You may know I go there from time to time, but sometimes I wander into the contemporary art section. And there's this one particular piece uh, that is some kind of ceramic, and it looks like a big giant block. I mean, it's an enormous hunk of ceramic. And then inside, it's kind of hollowed out, and it, it looks kind of like a cave. It's really hard for me to describe, but maybe if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. And I always find myself looking at this piece of art, and I think, this is profound, but I don't know really why it's profound. <laughs> you know, I, I stare at it, and I say, I know there's some meaning here, but I'm not really sure what the meaning is. I think that's how a lot of us feel about this first line of John. You know, I know this means something, but I'm not quite sure what it means. Well, let me talk about it for a second. The word. The word is actually a technical term. Uh, the Greek that's underneath that is this word logos. And logos is a really important idea. It's a very important idea around this time in history. Um, Almost all Greek philosophy was centered around the understanding of the Logos. The Logos was this technical label, um, and especially the Stoics, this group called the Stoics. They were focused on this idea called the Logos. And it's hard to define, it's hard to describe, so let me just give you a couple of definitions I've gotten from some textbooks and try to explain it. Uh, one definition is the, the Logos is the essence of the universe. It is the logical ordering of the world, the harmonious ordering of the world, and it's the way things are. It's, it's the, the destiny that we all have to accept. Maybe the best way that I could describe it is that Greek people, the Greeks, the Greek philosophers, believed that in the universe there was kind of woven through everything this divine and impersonal force. It was sort of a cosmic balance in the earth. And, and you can observe it. They would say, you know, we're born, we can see that this exists. We can observe that there's some sense of the divine that's holding everything together. And here's the fact. Someday, they would say, we're all going to be gone, and we're all going to rejoin this force that's kind of woven through everything. And so, our goal in life is just to come to grips with that reality. And once you understand that this divine thing is woven through all of existence, and that's where you're headed back to, then all the problems of your life will start, stop meaning quite so much. It'll be easier to deal with the pain of the world, because you know about the Logos. And then we get back to John. John, who is writing to this Greek audience, grabs a hold of this term, the Logos, and he, he just he does something awesome with it. It kind of reminds me of, of the story in Acts. Do you remember the, the, the book of Acts is the story about the early church and what the, a lot of the initial disciples of Jesus did to spread their faith? And it tells the story of Paul in Athens. And if you can remember this story, Paul is wandering around in Athens, spending some time looking around, and then it tells us um, that he addresses the people. He's looking around, he notices this one statue they have that, that is labeled to an unknown God. And here's how, how he responds. He says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. 
For as I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He says, let me tell you about this unknown God. Well, John says, this logos, this divine reality that you're always seeking to be connected to. He says, you're right. That is there. But let me tell you what it really is. He says, the word in the beginning was with God. The logos in the beginning was with God, and the logos is God. Luc Ferry, he's a, a French philosopher, and he wrote this book called A Brief History of Thought. And because I love you guys, I spent a lot of time last week reading this book. <laughs> um, it was pretty interesting. But one of the things he says is that, that for the Stoic, for the average Greek thinker, if they open up the book of John and they start reading the first few verses, they'll, they'll track with it. They'll be okay with it up until verse 3. They say, okay, yeah, yeah, Logos is God. That makes sense. But then when you skip down to verse 14, and it says, And the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What Free says is, by the time the Stoic gets to that line, they would say, this is insanity. This is madness. I, I cannot handle this. The Logos became flesh. But then what Free says is, verse 14 changed everything. That verse changed the very definition of the word Logos. And when you go back and you look at history, that verse changed the course of the entire world. He says, what is exactly was the issue in an apparently innocent change to the meaning of a single word? And Faris says, well, the answer is, it was nothing less than a revolution. When people heard this, they realized this was good news. And so in one paragraph, what John does is he tells us that Jesus Christ is the pre-existent, all-powerful creator of the universe, and that he is the divine reality. He is the divine reality that you have all been searching for, and he has come to earth to search for you. That's who he says Jesus is. But why does that matter? This is the second thing I want to talk about. Why does it matter? 2,000 years later, nobody's talking about the Logos, right? And outside of a philosophy class, nobody's very concerned about the idea of Logos. But uh, Faree has a good point when he was talking about these different philosophies. He says at the heart of philosophy, at the heart of every philosophy, is salvation. Here's a quote from him. He says, all philosophies, however different they may be, and the answers they tend to bring, they all promise us an escape from fear. This is the ever-present theme amongst the earliest Greek philosophers. We can neither, they say, we can neither act 
or think freely when we're paralyzed by the fear of death. So most philosophies, they recognize we can't act when we're paralyzed by the fear of death. And so then, the question of philosophy is, how do we persuade humans to save themselves? How can we think ourselves out of this? Here's what he means. He means we may not all be Stoics. In fact, probably none of us would identify ourselves that way. But we all have a philosophy. Every single one of us lives with a philosophy, and we're looking to that philosophy to save us from our fear. And we can see that just in the, in the way that we live. We may not name the philosophy, but we all have this nagging knowledge, right? We all have this nagging knowledge that, that we're not going to be here that long. My parents, last week, they went to the funeral of a, a 29-year-old who was a husband and a father, and he died in his sleep. Um, when we hear stuff like that, which we tend to hear pretty frequently, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know what to, how to process it. We know that, that life's already too short. And even if we, we make it to, to one of those old ages where they're celebrating us on the news, right? Even if we make it to 110, there's a sense that even that is not enough time. We all get a sense that, that aging and dying is too small of a story for us. And so what do we do? Well, we try to escape it. <laughs> We try to escape that fear of our impending death, and we do it a lot of different ways. We, we might do it through pursu the pursuit of wealth and fame. We might do it through maximizing our own pleasure. We might try to do anything we can to maximize our feeling of life, to make life seem bigger and more full. And then when that doesn't work, when that ends up just making us feel empty, we try the opposite. We try to simplify we try to separate. We try to get out into the woods and, and, and get away from everything. Maybe we try to seek out some truth or connect to a higher power. For many of us, we spend our lives kind of going back and forth from one philosophy to the next, trying to do something to help us escape that fear. And what Faree says is, in, that, in those questions, we're really looking for salvation. But we can't ever really seem to find it. And that is why John's words started a revolution. This search is why John's words started a revolution. In verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. He says, John says, No one has ever seen God. No one on their own has ever been able to seek out and find the answers. And so Jesus came. Jesus came to end our seeking. That's what John's saying. He's saying the ultimate meaning that you're seeking. You don't have to just keep looking and wondering. You don't have to keep searching. Here's why it matters that Jesus is the Logos. Because if Jesus is the Logos, and the Logos became flesh, then it means this. It means you can know God. It means God can be known. But why did that have to happen? 
Why did it have to happen that way? Why does the Word have to become flesh? Why does God have to dwell among us? Why did He have to do that? Well, first let's ask this question. John tells us no one has ever seen God. Is that true? Is it true that no one has ever seen God? Aren't there some stories in the Old Testament? Can you think, like, wasn't there a place in the Old Testament where somebody saw God? Well, no, there wasn't. This is an accurate statement. The closest we ever got was that Old Testament reading that, uh, that was read this morning. The story of Moses, who asks God, God, show me your glory. And if you were listening a moment ago, do you remember what happened? God says, I'm going to hide you in this rock, and I'm going to pass by you, and you can see my back, but you can't see my face. He says, my face cannot be seen. Why was that? Why couldn't Moses see God's face? Well, the Bible tells us it's because of sin. John starts out today, remember the words, in the beginning. He's connecting this beginning back to the, the earliest pages of Scripture. And, and that story tells us that in the beginning, God created the world. He created the world and all that was in it for his own glory. And he created the people in it. He created humanity to know him and be in relationship with him. Right? It wasn't just some kind of unknowable nothingness that we were supposed to know, but, but he created us for a satisfying relationship. That kind of relationship you're always looking for. Where you can be fully known. Where you can be exposed and don't have to be afraid. Where you can be understood and you can be loved. That's the kind of relationship God has created you to be in with him. But scripture tells us very early on, all of humanity rejected God. And we went our own way. And ever since that moment, we are all born into this world rejecting God. We are born into this world blind to the truth. And there's no amount of good teaching. There's no amount of persuasive arguing that can change your thoughts on that. The Bible tells us we cannot see God's glory. Or the way Romans puts it, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's what John is saying. He says, no one has ever seen God. No one can see God because of sin. Now, just a quick aside here. Maybe that stuff sounds kind of rote to you, like, of course the pastor's going to say that. But do you know how important, how impactful this message was in history. At this time in the world, the Greek system was an, it was an aristocratic world. People lived their lives entirely on the conviction that there was this natural hierarchy in the world. That some people were born to be commanders, and some people were born to be slaves, and that's just how it was. That's why if you look at the Greek political system, it's, so, uh, it's all about freedom, and yet it's also completely based on slavery. Because they didn't hold this, they, they had this idea that, that there was a natural hierarchy. But when Christianity came along, 
the belief in, in that type of hierarchy in, in human existence, there's, you just can't hold on to it. Because what, what John is saying here is that you are all equally lost and you're all equally doomed. You are all equally bad. There's no people that are naturally better than others. You are all on a level playing field. And when he says the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us, do you know what else that means? It means for the people who Christ was coming to save, you are all equally loved. You are all equally valuable. From the poorest widow to the the wealthiest merchant, from the most corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes to the most morally upstanding in the city, for the Jews and also for the Greeks, for all people, there's this message that the Logos has come for you, for you, even actually you and me. The Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. Or, as we'll see in a couple chapters, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the glory of the gospel. That's that's the insanity of the gospel. (laughs) This is the message that John wants us to see. We can't see God. None of us can see God. And so what does God do? God comes down. God condescends to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. J.I. Packer, he says, whatever objections you might have to Christianity, this should be the biggest one. There's a lot of offensive things that you find in Scripture, but the most offensive idea in all of Scripture is that God became a man. There's a lot of religions in the world that will walk right up alongside of Christianity with a lot of teaching until this. When we say God became a man, that's where we part ways with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, and that's where we part ways with Islam and and Judaism. You know, not to mention the Stoics. (laughs) But this is the good news. The good news is that God comes down. First, he steps down from outside of eternity into time and history. But that's not where he stops. He keeps going down. Because he didn't come as a king, but he came as a poor son of a carpenter. And he didn't come as a a full-grown man in all of his strength, but he came as, as a child. As an infant, he came from infinite power to the weakest thing on earth. My kids this week, we built a Playmobil nativity scene. <laughs> and uh, it's like, you know, it's, it's a plastic toy. But I was amazed at how cheesy the little baby Jesus was in there. And it, was just a, it, was, it was so small and so easy to lose that I'm certain we will not have it next Christmas. <laughs> but as small and tiny as it was, I had to think, you know, What was it like for God to look down as a human child? How small and how insignificant he became. 
But that's not the only way he steps down. You see, God stepped down from being the Lord of all creation, the giver of the law, to being underneath the law. In our passage, verse 17, it says, the law was given through Moses. And that's talking about, in, in Exodus, how God delivers his law to the people, you know, the Ten Commandments and all the laws that followed. Those laws taught people how they were supposed to live. Those laws taught people what holiness really meant. It showed the standard of perfection. And none of us could keep it. Every single one of us, we fell short of that. And so Jesus came and he put himself under that law. And he lived the life that we couldn't live. And then he went even further down to death. You see, we don't deserve to be saved. We deserve to be punished. We deserve to be treated as criminals for the ways that we've broken God's law. But what the gospel tells us is that Jesus came and he took that penalty for us. He paid the penalty that we owe. Verse 16, it says, From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. What does that mean? Well, if you ever think about what a person would be like, <laughs> what, is, what does it mean to be fully man? That's what Jesus was. Jesus did everything right. <laughs> he was fully God in the flesh. He was perfect. And because of that, he could keep all the laws that we couldn't keep. But he was also fully man. He was in every way just like us, so that he could die the death and pay the penalty that we owe. And it says because of that fullness, because Christ in his fullness laid his life down for us, it says we have received grace upon grace. Or the NIV, if you guys have that translation, it says we've received one blessing after another. We get his holiness. He gets our sin. Because of him, we can all finally behold the glory of God. That's what the gospel is. Because he came down, we can all see God. He has made God known. That's why he had to do it that way. <laughs> that's why the Logos had to become flesh. And that's our hope now. That is our hope as we begin this Advent season. You all know that Christmas is not just Best Buy commercials, right? Christmas is not just going out and buying people the presents they want and everybody being super happy and everybody having all the money they need, right? Christmas is a time that's often full of pain. It's full of memories of better days that have passed us by. It's full of longing. For many of us, it's full of loneliness. It's a time that often leaves us feeling like things were just, we wish they were different. We wish they were better. We wish that our hearts were whole and our world was healed. And John says to us here, I know you feel that way. And I want to introduce you to something. Or for many of us, I want to introduce you, I want to reintroduce you to someone. I want you to meet Jesus. He is the answer to all those longings. He is the Logos made flesh. He is God come to earth 
And he came to find you. Because without him, you're never going to find him. And here's the best part. If you're here this morning and you find yourself and you say, I want him. You're right. That's what I want. That's what he's the one that I'm longing for. If that's you, I want to say you're in a good place. Because that means he's coming for you. (laughs) If you want him, that means that he is coming for, for you. All you have to do right now is pray. All we have to do right now is pray and just say, Lord Jesus, make me yours. Lord Jesus, forgive me for the ways that I've been looking for, for, for satisfaction and meaning and all of these other things. Forgive me for trying to, to numb myself to my, from my fears. Make me yours. Save me from my sin. And show me your glory. Let's pray. Lord, I wonder the kind of boldness that Moses had, that he would come to you and say, show me your glory. Father, I I have to admit that's something I, I long to see as well. This world is filled with troubles, my life is filled with sin. But Lord, I thank you that you love us so much that you wouldn't let us stay there. That you have come to redeem the sinner and you are coming again to restore the world. Father, I pray for everyone here in this room who feels a deep longing. And I pray that we would lay down our our philosophies, <laughs> that we would lay down our, our desire to, to find wholeness through escape, through getting more gifts, through <laughs> uh, getting a better job, or through just getting away from it all. Lord, I pray that we would find our hope in you. Lord, would you show us this Advent season, the glory of the Incarnation? Would you show us this Advent season that you have taken on flesh to dwell among us? Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.